about uh, Um, Thanksgiving, but most of us probably thought about Thanksgiving as a uniquely American holiday because of its pastoral history. Test, test, test. Am I good now? Okay. It is because that was covered up. Anyway, 1621, 53 pilgrims, Native Americans to join them in a feast to celebrate God's goodness. His faithfulness and His providence. Celebration lasted three days. That was quite a party. So we can look back at this event as one of the brightest and, and really significant moments in the history of our nation. However, tell someone who lives in Canada that Thanksgiving is an American holiday and they'll drink with you. Here's why. Canada also celebrates Thanksgiving. How many of you know that? Canada thinks they celebrate Thanksgiving every year. In fact, their Thanksgiving tradition further than ours, to 1500. Not only Thanksgiving celebrated in America and Canada, it's also celebrated in South America. Whoa, you mean this isn't an American holiday? No, it is not an, just an American holiday. For example, tell someone from Brazil Thanksgiving is an American celebration, and they'll also disagree with you. And even though Thanksgiving isn't recognized as a national holiday in Brazil, most of the church, the faith community in Brazil, does celebrate Thanksgiving. They set aside a day to give thanks to God. And those are a couple of things that I didn't know. But what I found interesting is the celebrations that Canada and Brazil, the, the titles that they give for these celebrations, it's about Thanksgiving. Listen listen to the names, the titles that they give them. In Canada, the Thanksgiving celebration is called, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, Jour de l'Action de Grace. I don't speak French very well. Which means, that you don't have to remember that, but here's what I want you to remember. That phrase means the day of the action of thanks. The day of the action of thanks. Right? Isn't that interesting? In Brazil, the celebration is called Acción de Graças, which means action of thanks. Now, boys and girls, did you hear a word repeated in those two definitions? The day of the action of thanks and action of thanks. Was there a word repeated? Boys, did you hear a word repeated in that? Action, right? Action, right? The day of action, the, the day of the action of thanks. See, Canada and Brazil got it right, right? Faithfulness is an action, an action that stems from an attitude of gratitude. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, an attitude of gratitude. Now, See, and this is something that probably most of our parents tried to instill in us growing up. Had you ever had your parent, as a child, you know, remind you to, if someone gave you something, what is it? No, say, tell them thank you, right? Tell them thank you. Say thank you, right? And this is something that, that they try to instill in us from the, from the time that we're young. And, and usually, not always, but oftentimes, uh, these instructions were accompanied by a personal illustration uh, that made us go. I don't know if I need a new battery or not. I thought I heard say there's one more nine volt back there. So, um, for example, uh, how many of you have heard here about your dad who uh, uh, 
snowstorm. Uphill. Both ways. Right. It's the wind. Yeah. Right. Sub zero temperature. Right. And my dad actually had to uh, kill a mountain lion with his big cheap tablet and his Scooby Doo on Fox. If you know what a big cheap tablet is, you just age yourself. These instructions and gratitude usually came with a little guilt trip personal testimony on their part, you know? Like, you know, like, you know, you know, they've got like uh, orange and a, uh, a piece of juicy fruit for Christmas, and they were glad to get that. I, I, I don't remember what my dad said when I thought about asking my grandma, did that really get, you know, just kind of call him out on that, right? But anyway, this is something that our parents tried to instill in us when we were, since we were young. Probably, hopefully, maybe what we're trying to do in our children as well, right? So, now, as we talk about gratitude, uh, oftentimes the best way to kind of dial in and understand what a word means is to look at the opposite of the meaning of that word, all right? Uh, so, if, if I were to ask someone the opposite of gratitude, what do you think the answer would be? Well, obviously, ingratitude, right? Or someone said ungratitude, right? Actually, that is not the opposite. But here's what we know, and I'm going to get to this in just a second. When you give something to someone, you'll usually get one of two responses. And think about this. When you give something to someone, you'll get one of two responses. Either the recipient will be grateful, or, and this might surprise you, the recipient will be greedy. Either the recipient will be grateful, or the recipient will be greedy. Story who bumped into one another on the street one day, and one of them looked sad and dejected almost on the verge of, of tears. So his friend asked him, he says, what happened to you, my old friend? He said, let me tell you, three weeks ago, uncle died and left me $40,000. And that's a lot of money, the other guy said. Guy goes on, two, two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew, even knew, died and left me $85,000 free and clear. The guy says, well, sounds like you've been blessed. You don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars. Now the other guy's really confused. He says, then why do you look so glum? Guy says, this week, nothing. See, that's the trouble with receiving something on a regular basis. Even if it is a gift, we eventually come to expect it. This has created this entitlement mindset that has permeated American society at almost every level. We, we've been blessed to live in a land of plenty, and as a result, place it, and oftentimes we're completely unwilling to give thanks to anyone for anything because we get used to it. Like, we, we, this, we, I deserve this, right? If you've ever, uh, come here on the third Saturday of the month to help with our Helping Hands monthly food distribution, you might have witnessed this firsthand. Not all of them, because, because some of them really are grateful for what they get, right? But there are some clients that come through here, uh, that gripe and complain. And it's hard. I'm just being full disclosure. It's hard because we're giving them free food. Right? We're giving them free food and they're griping and complaining because we don't have the right kind of meat. Right? Or enough meat or something. Right? And again, I'm sure the majority of the people that come through are grateful and do appreciate what they get. But there are a handful who are not only are they not grateful, they're, they're entitled. They feel like they deserve, like we should give them more. 
And that, in a nutshell, is a snapshot of how people respond to acts of generosity. Some people are grateful, and some are greedy. They want more. So, turn with me now. I'll open up in your Bible app to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. I'm going to read... Uh, Read a teaching that Jesus did here. Luke 12, 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Now, now look closely at this next statement by Jesus. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Alright? And then and every single one of us should memorize this next statement that Jesus made. For what life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? You ought, to, you ought to memorize that. That's that's a huge statement. What's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? And he, verse 16, and he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. All right, now listen. Up until now, this guy's done nothing wrong. I want you to know that. Up until now, this guy has done nothing wrong. All right? There's nothing wrong with storing or putting away some of the harvest for time. Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, <laughs> I will say to my soul, soul? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In other words, it's okay to plan for the future. It's okay to, to save or store up for the future. Proverbs tells us that it's wise to do that, in fact, to save for a rainy day, for retirement, etc. Here is that last statement Jesus made about being rich towards God. So cultivating an attitude of gratitude requires that we have a proper understanding, a proper perspective towards things or towards stuff. Okay? So with that in mind, here's point number one. Stuff is just stuff. You got it? Stuff is just stuff. Alright? And look, in the passage we read, please note with me that God had no problem with the guy having stuff. Right? He had no problem with this guy having stuff. And God has no problem with us a problem for God and for us is when the stuff has us. That's where it becomes a problem. Okay? When the stuff has us. Alright? Now, God's okay with us having stuff. He just doesn't want the stuff to have us. In other words, God's concern is how we think about stuff. We see that in the parable that we read where the guy said he was going to tear down his barns and build bigger ones to store all his stuff. Again, God's not opposed to building bigger barns. He's concerned about how we think about what's in the barns. Alright? Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord your, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We, see, we see this in the story of Joseph. Remember how he built bigger barns for the crops from the seven years of plenty after he'd been sold into slavery down in Egypt and then he rose up into power? During the seven years of plenty, he, he, he built those barns and stored up all so that they could have food not only for their nation, but even for the surrounding nations to sell to, because for, during the famine, right? So God doesn't have a problem with barns. God doesn't have a problem with stuff in barns. He has a problem when we become too consumed with the stuff that's in the barns, right? 
And you know, it really, it really how upset with stuff uh, we even in the church, even in the church. In fact, we to associate stuff with God's blessings, don't we? We do. We look at someone who has a lot of stuff and think, man, God has blessed them. Well, maybe he has and maybe he hasn't. Again, stuff is just stuff. Just because someone has more stuff than someone else doesn't necessarily mean that God has blessed them more or that God hasn't blessed the other person as much. Right? We associate stuff with God's blessings. We were uh, youth pastors for a couple years in Oklahoma, and this was back when the oil boom was happening, and there was a guy who attended the church who was in the oil investment business. And uh, one time he was talking about how he made a bunch of money off of a $10,000 investment. And as he was talking, he made this comment. He said, and, and the pastor was standing there as well, he said, God is an awesome God. And, and, and the pastor who happened to be standing I said, you know what? God is still an awesome God if you didn't make a dime off that investment. He wasn't trying to be mean. I think he was just trying to dial this guy back in a little bit. All right? God is still awesome no matter what. All right? And here's what we need to know this morning. The way we think about stuff will determine whether we'll have a heart of gratitude or greed. So point number one, stuff is just stuff. Point number two, stuff is just a test. Stuff is just a test. In fact, I'm convinced that God sometimes gives us, gives us stuff just to see how we'll deal with it, how we'll respond to it, how we'll, uh, react to it. Right? And think about this. Not only is God concerned about how we think about stuff, He's even more concerned, He's not only concerned with how we think about it, more concerned with how we think about other people's stuff. Did you know that? Yeah. In fact, he's so concerned about that, it made his top ten list. It did. The top ten, you know what the top ten is? Right? The Ten Commandments? Deuteronomy 5.21 And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You know, God could have just said stuff. He just inserted the word stuff there. And it still would have made sense, right? So God's not only concerned about how we think about our stuff. He's actually more concerned about how we think about other people's stuff. Right? Because here's the deal. How we think about stuff determines whether or not we have a heart of gratitude or a heart of greed. And I want us to look at a couple of Greek words for a minute because I know how much you love it when I get Greeky on you. Make you feel like you're getting your money's worth, right? There's a couple of Greek, Greek words. Uh, epithumio. Epithumio. You don't remember, you don't need to remember that. But epithumio is the Greek word for covet. Okay? Epithumio is the Greek word for covet. Listen. Epithumia. Alright? Is the Greek word for lust. In other words, the root word, the root form of the word for covet is the same root word for lust. They come from the same source. So in a very real sense, coveting is lusty. Coveting is lusty. But the basic meaning of the root form of the word, the epithumi part, means literally, listen to this, to set your heart on something that is not yours. 
To set your heart on something that is not yours. The essence of both the word covet and the word lust means the same thing. To set your heart on something that doesn't belong to you. Okay? And the reason this concerns God so much is because if something has our heart besides Him, it ain't going to turn out good for us, people. I'm just telling you. Been doing this a long time. If our heart is set on something, someone other than God, if anything takes priority over Him, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to catch up with you and it's not going to be good. Not because God hates us, it just, it, life doesn't work if He's not on the throne. That's just the way it plays out, people. If you haven't figured that out, that, that's how it works. If God is not in charge of our lives, at some point that will catch up with us and that will be exposed. Right? If we put stuff, we're supposed to put God, our lives will become an endless cycle of heartache and sorrow. We weren't designed to put stuff where God designed, where God designed us to put Him. Alright, let, let me, let me explain the difference between greed and gratitude. Greed looks to people to meet its needs. Gratitude looks to God. Greed looks to people to meet its needs. Gratitude looks to God. That's why when you give something to someone and that gift is received with gratitude, that's a person who understands that God is their source. Typically, grateful people understand that God is their source. Not always, right? But usually. But if a gift is received with ingratitude or greed, that is a person who's looking to people to meet their needs. Right? Greed always, listen, listen. Greed always looks to a person to meet their needs. That's why a greedy person gets upset if it's not enough. Or that's why a greedy person gets mad if you tell them no. Right? <clears throat> the minister has a fund set aside, by the way, this evening. We're going to be taking up an offering. How do you, how do you like that? I get a little commercial in for the service tonight. Seriously, it's going to be a good time. But we do take up an offering at the community Thanksgiving service for the Ministerial Alliance Fund, and that those resources, that money is used to help people in the community with different needs. Right? Well, we have guidelines because, you know, we have limited resources. We can't help if the same person calls every week, you know. So we have some guidelines in order to spread that those resources out among more people. So if we have helped someone within the last six months, you have to wait six months and then we can help you again. Not because we're mean, it's just that we have limited resources, so we kind of got to, you know, parlay this out, right? So it doesn't happen often, but there's been a couple times where I had to tell, explain to someone that, uh, and uh, they got mad. They got mad. Uh, they had, uh, we had someone uh, that we helped, and then they called back, uh, not even maybe a week later, less than two weeks later, and wanting assistance again. I, and I explained the guidelines. I said, look, it's not that we don't want to help. It's just that we have guidelines, and since we helped you two weeks ago, we can't help you again for another, uh, would it be five and a half months, right? And she got mad, started yelling at me over the phone, and even pulled out me. I'm just telling you, don't you ever do this to me, because this really sets me up. This, this really... Has anyone ever told, pulled the old and you call yourself a Christian? Anyone ever pulled that line on you? Don't ever do that with me. I'm just saying. Okay? But that, I go to, I go from zero to, you know what, real quick. But this person pulled that on me and I, I asked for God's grace and I just apologized and I said, well, I'm sorry. Uh, we won't be able to help you until this time frame is up and then I, then I hung up on him, right? But listen, as long as you want people to meet your needs, not only will you be greedy, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. And you'll never walk in gratitude. Here's why. As long as we're looking to people to meet our needs, 
God will not provide for us supernaturally. As long as we're looking to people to meet our needs, God, we, we basically tied God's hands from helping doing a miracle. We need to understand that. If we're looking to people, God can't do a miracle on our, on our behalf. Right? Now, having said that, let me say this. Oftentimes, in fact, more times than not, more times than credit for, God will still use a person to do a supernatural work. Because that's what He's chosen to do. Because the supernatural, now listen, the supernatural part of the miracle isn't the vessel being used, it's the timing. It's the timing. God can use anyone, anything. But he chooses to use us, right? He'll still do that. But the miracle comes the timing of it, right? Um, one of the newest cars that we have ever owned uh, was in 1982, we had a car given to us, a 1981 Olds Cutlass. Uh, our car had, uh, what was that? Was that our Fury? I mean, we had a 63 Plymouth Fury. That thing was a boat, man. That thing was huge. It had to have hinges to turn a corner. That thing was so long. Anyway, we, I think it was our Plymouth Fury. It, it died, you know, and so, you know, we're, we're looking for a car, and I hate, I hate car shopping. It just, I don't like doing that. And, uh, it's like rolling the dice, you know, and especially, if, you know, if, I was a youth pastor. I was making 300 a week. Right? Wasn't that what I was I can't, you know, go out and buy a new car. Anyway, so we're, we're looking for a car. <clears throat> and, uh, within a Sunday evening after church, uh, the pastor, uh, called me into his office. And I thought, oh. Anyway, uh, so he said, he said, uh, he closed the door. That's when I really got scared. Uh, but anyway, he called me out of the closed door. He said, uh, he said, so are, are you and Sue still looking for a car? And I said, yeah. I said, we kind of drove a couple, you know. But he said, well, he said, uh, he took keys out of his pocket. And he said, here. He said, God told, told uh, me to give you mine. That's the newest car we've ever known, and God gave it to us. Right? God used a person, but that was a miracle, people. The timing, I mean, just the way the whole thing played out. Right? So, did God use a person? Absolutely. But the fact that he used a person doesn't take away from the fact that it was a miracle. Had we looked to man to meet that need, I'm convinced we never, we would have missed out on one of the biggest miracles of our lives. Right? Because if we're looking to man, we're not only greedy, we're eliminating the possibility of a miracle from God. So, stuff is stuff, stuff is just a test, and the third point is, gratitude is passing the stuff test. Gratitude is passing the stuff test. Remember, stuff is the test. How we think about stuff is the test. How we think about our stuff and how we think about other people's stuff, that's the test. That's the challenge facing us. Deuteronomy 1.18. The whole commandment, and I thought, you know, this is a big passage. I thought, you know, do I really want to read that much of the Bible in the sermon? Then I got to thinking, well, how stupid of a question is that? How much of the Bible do I want to read in my sermon anyway? The whole commandment, Deuteronomy 8, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall uh, be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Now, please understand, God has a land for every one of his people to possess. God has a land for all of us to possess, all right? And verse 2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, 
He's about to tell us two reasons why God takes us through the wilderness at times. All right? And God does take us through the wilderness at times. If, if, if you haven't figured that out, I, I hate to be the bearer of that news, but God for like two weeks, you know that. Right? Sometimes God takes us through the wilderness. We don't just accidentally end up in the wilderness. No, that's by design because God will at times take us through the wilderness. Now, we do determine we stay there. Okay? We determine how long we stay there, but God is the one who takes us through those wilderness experiences, right? Why? Well, let's read on and we'll see why. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let, and let you hunger. Whoa! Does that say? And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that. Here, he's going to use the, the phrase that Jesus used when after fasting for 40 days and nights, the devil came to him in the wilderness and tempted him to turn the stone into some bread. Remember Jesus' response to the devil, man does not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God, from the Lord, mouth of the Lord. In other words, who you're looking towards to provide. Clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Deuteronomy 29.5 says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. Can you imagine that? Not ever having to shop for any shoes. Sarah, you would be totally bummed out in the wilderness, wouldn't you? Not able to go shop for any shoes. What would you do? Of course, Doug would be, all right, thank you, Jesus, right? No, seriously, the clothes didn't wear out, the shoes didn't wear out. I wonder if the children of Israel were grateful for the fact that they didn't have to worry about buying shoes or making shoes or new clothes, right? Verse 5, know then in your heart, now watch this next statement, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines a son, the Lord your God, what? Disciplines you. So you shall keep his commandments, your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Then the next few verses 7 to 10 describe the land that God has promised them, the land that he was leading them to. So let's get down to verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be lifted up and you the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. Remember that? Now he struck the rock, got water. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might... Okay, here's the three reasons why God takes us through the wilderness. Humble you. Talk about that. Test you. Talk about that. Third, do you good in the end. That's why God takes us to the wilderness. To humble us, to test us, and to do us good. In. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, <clears throat> that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. In short, God told them to remember and never forget where they came from. That's what he told them. All right? Now, as we wind things down here, I want to say something about greed. Because there, there, there are two driving forces behind greed. Two spirits behind greed. Alright? And, and, and make no mistake about it, greed is a spirit. 
Okay? But here are the two things that, that are constantly bombarding us. Pride and poverty. Those are the two driving forces behind greed. Pride and poverty. And here's how it usually plays out. Pride tries to get us to think more highly of our stuff than we Poverty tries to get us to feel guilty for our stuff. Because here's the deal. They're both wrong because they both still focus on stuff. They're both wrong. Pride and poverty, because it's still about the stuff. Right? Poverty tries to get us to feel guilty for our stuff. Pride tries to get us to think more highly of our stuff. Uh, for example, you pull up at a spot, a stoplight, and, uh, and you're sitting there and, 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 and someone with a, nice of a car as you have or not as nice of a pickup pulls up next to you, you kind of glance over there and you make an assessment right away. You say, well, I'd probably make more than he does. You know, I mean, you, know, you, 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 did not, you don't calculate that. You just, you just you, know, you think, hey, you know, look at that piece of junk. I'd probably make more than he does. Or if someone pulls up in something nicer than you, all right, then, then, then it's the poverty. It's like, well, man, what a, what a waste of money. Can't believe someone would spend that much money on something that gets you from point A to point B, right? The point being, in both cases, the emphasis is still on stuff. And it's usually our stuff compared to someone else's stuff, right? So, if you get nothing else out of this message, get this. Stuff is just stuff. Turn to the person next to you and say, stuff is just stuff. Uh, no, hey, this is all skate. This is all skate. 100% participation. Turn to the person next to you and say, stuff is just stuff. All right. And God sometimes uses stuff to test us. Because how I think about my stuff and how you think about your stuff will determine whether or not you have an attitude of gratitude or not. The interesting thing is, your financial status has no bearing on either pride or poverty. Billionaire John Templeton, Sir John Templeton, a devout Christian, a devout believer, by the way. He served on the board of Princeton Theological Seminary for more than 40 years. He started the Templeton Foundation, which is involved in charitable causes throughout the world. This is what he said about the importance of gratitude. If you're not grateful, you're not rich, no matter how much you have. I've known rich people who battled pride and poverty. I've known poor people who battled with pride and poverty. Pride says that the stuff comes from ourselves. Poverty says we don't need any of that stuff because it's bad for us. That stuff's from the devil. You don't want that, right? Poverty says we shouldn't have anything nice because God wouldn't want us to have anything nice. How many of you ever heard or maybe even said this uh, yourselves or something similar to it? Someone compliments your new shoes or new shirt that you're wearing and you say, oh, this old thing. I got it off the half-price wreck. A rack at uh, Goodwill. Yeah. Right. Kind of downplay it, right? Poverty tries to make sure people know how frugal you are. Pride tries to make people think that you're better than you really are. Again, the point being, the focus is still on stuff. Pride tries to get people to think we paid more than we really did for something. Poverty tries to get people to think that they paid less for it than they really did. Someone buys a new house, people come over to visit. Compliment them on a new house. Pride says, well, we're going to build a larger one, but you know we're empty nesters now, so we decided to just kind of downsize a little bit, right? Foreclosure. Right? 
And, and see, and this actually plays out a little bit different for me as a minister. Here's why. My livelihood comes from you guys. You understand that, don't you? Alright. So, uh, even though I don't want to, I find myself at times evaluating my purchases, not based on whether or not I would like it, but based on whether or not what you guys would think about it. All right. All right, let's go ahead and go there. Let's go there. We got a Lexus. Your pastor drives a Lexus. But let me tell you the rest of the story. All right. We've had Toyota Avalons. We like Toyota. Well, since our kids have moved out, we got rid of the Suburbans, and now we can drive something a little bit more economical. Anyway, so uh, we we were we had that other uh, gold Avalon, and uh, messing up. So we're thinking now we're going to have to buy a car. So we happened to be over there in Lawrence, and we're right went to Walmart. So as we're leaving to pull out, you know, Crown Toyotas right here. So I pull up, and for some reason I I just went straight. I didn't turn to come up. I went straight into the parking lot at Crown Toyota. <laughs> so anyway, I, thought, I told I told Sue, I said, you feel anything? <laughs> Pull that out. Tell me if you feel something, right? Back up. Where'd you feel it? Let me see. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we had already talked about, uh, we wanted to get another Avalon. We wanted to, uh, wanted to get another Toyota Avalon. Well, uh, but we wanted a white. A white, a, uh, I, I believe the technical name is a Blizzard Pearl. Okay. It's that really neat looking white. But anyway, uh, cause that's her, her mom, her mom, her dad bought her mom a, a nice Toyota Avalon that's that color white. So we pour in the lot and there's this Lexus sitting there. And it's, it's Blizzard Pearl. Alright, so we're like, you know, so anyway, we ended up driving it on the, on the windshield, you know how the car lots, they have the year, the, the, and then usually the mile, mileage on it. 2005, it was a 2005 Lexus. 90,000, 91,000 miles on it, right? Anyway, we ended up driving it. Long and short, we bought it. But I remember talking to her before we bought it. I said, honey, I don't know about this because as a pastor, people aren't, people aren't going to know what year this is. They're just going to see that L. They're just going to see that L on there, right? And so don't think we didn't think about this. So, see, Yeah. So, <laughs> so pride, pride says, well, we wanted to get a newer Avalon, but it was too much. Poverty tells the salesman, uh, leave that, uh, 2005 and 91,000 on the windshield. Cause I would never want to know. This ain't new. See? Pride, pride says, uh, 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 nah, we wanted an Avalon, but we couldn't, we wanted a new Avalon. Poverty says, no, 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 this is a 2005 with 90,000. You see what I'm saying? How, how this kind of, but it, 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 they're both wrong because it's still about the stuff. It's still about the stuff, right? Here's why you don't need to justify the stuff you buy to anyone but God. If God's okay with it, now listen to me. All right, let me finish. If God's okay with it, if you're a generous person and you tithe and you're living below your means, you don't have to justify your purchase to anyone but God. Can I say that? All right. 
In fact, if you're a generous person, listen, if you're a generous person uh, and you're a percentage giver, you're a tither, and you're a good steward and you're living below your means, you're going to end up with more problems. You know why? Because God's going to bless you with more stuff. He is. That's what he said. Then you're going to have to figure out what to do with that stuff. Right? Because according to God's word, he blesses people who do that. So if you do these things, you'll end up with some problems because God will bless you with more stuff. You're going to have to figure out what to do with it. Now, the story is told. Again, this is a test. Sometimes God blesses us just to see how we're going to do, right? Stories told of a guy who got a promotion and a substantial raise. A few weeks later, he came to the pastor after Sunday morning service asking for prayer. He said, Pastor, you need to pray for me. The pastor said, why? He said, well, I used to make 500 a week, and man, I had no problems tithing, writing that $50 check, put in the offering. Now I got this huge raise. I'm making $5,000 a week. Man, that $500 check every week, that's a little bit harder to write than 50, right? So he said, I need you to pray for me. The pastor said, okay. Lord, I pray that you would cause him to start making 500 a week again so he can tithe. <laughs> Someone compliments your new outfit. Pride says, oh, it's tailor-made. There's only 10 of them made in the world, and I got one of them. Probably says, I the half back. You know what gratitude says? Let me tell you what gratitude says. Gratitude says, thank you. That's it. That's it. Thank you. That's what gratitude says. Alright? Someone says, well, that's your nice car you're driving. Pride says, I got a nicer one at home. Albany says, that's a company car. I'm just leasing it. Gratitude says, thank you. Thank you. Both pride and poverty compare themselves to others, but here's the deal. It's still focused on the stuff. And can I say it again? Stuff is just stuff. Alright? But God will sometimes use stuff to test us. Stuff is just a test. Pride and poverty compare themselves to others. Gratitude compares itself to God. Gratitude looks at what I've done for God, which is nothing. Gratitude looks at what I've done for God, which is nothing, and what God has done for me, which is everything, and says, thank you. Thank you. So in closing, here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to teach you from this message. Ask him to be honest. Be honest. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's any areas of greed in your life, either on the side of greed or on the side of the poverty side. And finally, ask the Lord to help you learn to be, just be grateful. To not give in to either the spirit of pride or poverty. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran theologian who died in a Nazi war camp in 1945, said this, In ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. And that is only and it, that it is only through gratitude that life becomes rich. I'll read that again. This is a guy who died in a Nazi war camp. In ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. And that it is only through gratitude that life becomes rich. Sir Templeton was he was right. Without gratitude, you're not rich, no matter how much you have. So, how does one cultivate an attitude of gratitude? Real quick, four things that will help us get good at being grateful and cultivating an attitude of gratitude. Number one, start by being grateful for who you are. Start by being grateful for who you are. I, I would dare to say that most of us are unhappy about some aspect of ourselves, the way we look, right? 
Usually it's about the way we look, something, right? We think, well, why can't I be taller, skinny, right? Looking. Why couldn't I have been born rich? Why couldn't I have been born in another place, another time? Why couldn't I have a better singing voice, right? Or a better pitching arm? Or why can't I dunk a basketball? The fact is, however, that God made you just the way you are. Right? Here's how David put it. In Psalm 139, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. All right? Start by being grateful for who you are and who God made you. Accept the fact that God made you. He chose your parents, your birthday, your physical attributes, your talents, your intellectual capacity. You are just as He wanted you to be. Instead of grumbling about yourself, take some time to th say thank you to God. Another way to get good at gratitude is to remember what God's done for you. Remember what God's done for you. Thomas Merton said, To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything He's given us. And He has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of His love. James put it this way. In James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. We need to learn to recognize these gifts and acknowledge them and remember them as long as we live. God has blessed each and every one of us in so many different ways, many of which we've never even acknowledged. The people He's put in our lives, the jobs He's provided, the protection He's given us, the mercy He's shown us, right? So I encourage you to look back over your life and see how the hand of God has guided you from one place to the next. Look at all the pleasant things that have happened, the unasked for blessings, the undeserved favors, and say thank you for each one. Gratitude is a habit. We have to practice it daily in order to get good at it. A third way of getting good at gratitude is to practice living in the moment. This is a tough one. Practice living in the moment. We need to remain connected enough to the past that we remember what God's done for us, but we don't want to live in the past. Alright? We need to be focused enough on the future that we're moving in the direction that God wants us to go. But we don't want to live in the future. We need to live in the moment. Learn to live in the moment. This moment, right now, where you are, this is all you have. So many people aren't able to appreciate what God's doing for them because they're still haunted by things that happened years ago. They're having a hard time living now, in the moment. I know people have never been able to get past the bitterness of a divorce, maybe. Right? Or being treated unfairly. Or maybe they never got past being able to forgive themselves for something they did a long time ago. This kind of thinking is, an, is the antithesis to everything that gratitude stands for. The, we have to accept the fact that the past is gone. It doesn't do us any good to dwell on it. And look, this isn't breaking news. You guys, you guys know this. But it's up to you to decide. You'll not be bound to the past. It's a choice that you have to make. Right? Um, it's no secret that... Uh, through this time of transition with the church, it's been a challenge. It's been, it's, it's been a challenge. Uh, and uh, particularly for me, probably even more so for me. Uh, but early week, first part of last week, I went to some meetings at the district office. And while I was there, I was talking to our superintendent, uh, Brother Yancey, who's my pastor. So you know, he asked how things were going. And, and you know, I said, well, you know, they're going good. And, and uh, I said, but it's, you know, it's hard, you know, just trying to, you know, navigate this way, and sometimes it's kind of discouraging. And I'm, I was kind of dwelling on some of the negative things, you know, that, that, that have accompanied this transition, vision and mission and so forth. And at one point he stopped me and he said, he said, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like I've seen on your social media outlets 
uh, that you've had a few accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is that not right? I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, and, and it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you just baptized three people uh, just yesterday, wasn't it? Because this was last Monday. And I said, well, yeah, 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 we, we, we did. Yeah, we did. And he said, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like your growth groups did pretty well. I saw some pictures of some things that your growth groups did. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, aren't your growth groups uh, doing pretty good? Uh, and I said, yeah. He said, and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you have a nice fall chili uh, family cook-off or something? Didn't you have a pretty good turnout for that? <laughs> so finally I said, all right, all right, I got it, all right. Point taken, point taken. See, at this point I had an epiphany. You know what an epiphany is? It's a revelation of the meaning of something. It's like finding the last piece of a puzzle that makes it possible to comprehend the whole picture. And this was my epiphany. I realized that as long as I have a pulse, I will have problems and I'll have to deal with pressure. And I realized that choosing to live in the moment was a step of faith on my part. A step saying, God, I don't know about the future. I don't know the solution to every problem I face, but I trust that you will see me through this. Look, and, 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 and this, you know this too. You know this too. Each day that God gives you to live on this planet is going to have its own unique challenges. Right? Its own problem, its own pressure. Some days bring a lot of it. But every day we have the choice. We have to make the choice to live in the moment. And that is always a step of faith, people, always. But you cannot experience gratitude unless you take that step. Gratitude is a habit. We have to practice it daily in order to get good at it. If you want to get good at gratitude, practice living in the moment all day long. And then fourthly, fourthly, tell others about the goodness of God. Well, yeah. That's one way to learn to be grateful. Tell others about the goodness of Now, this is going to be slightly off topic, but I'm going to chase a rabbit for a second as we wrap this up. Here's why most non-Christians don't feel comfortable talking about God with a Christian. We don't spend our time telling them how good God is. We spend our time telling them how bad they are. Somewhere along the way, a few of us got this idea that you're a sinner and you're going to hell is good news. What? There's more to it than that. Every person who comes to Christ must confess their sin. The Bible's but that's not where the conversation begins. If you want to talk about God, the best place to begin is telling your non-Christian friends how great God is. Tell them all the wonderful things that He's done for you, for your family, for the people you know, for His people throughout history. Testify of God's goodness. That's what David did in Psalm 71, 15 to 17. I'll have the worship team come on up. Psalm 71, 15 to 17. David says, I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long I will proclaim your saving power for I am overwhelmed by how much you have done for me. I will tell everyone that you alone are just and good. I have constantly told others about the wonderful things you do. See, talking about God's goodness helps people understand how much they need Him. Right? Talking about God's goodness opens the door for the Holy Spirit to convict the heart of the non-Christian. And see, that's His job, not ours. <coughs> Excuse me. Talking about the good God also reinforces our sense of gratitude and encourages other believers to maintain a thankful heart. You can't go wrong talking about the goodness of God. Let's all stand.
So, yeah, be, be praying about that message. Uh, come expecting to uh, hear from God. And do invite someone to come and hear this message on Anxious for Nothing. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Go with the Lord. Amen. And don't forget, tonight, 6 o'clock, community Thanksgiving service. Come and join us. That will be here. That will be here. That is here.